All right, you guys ready? Open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 18, in the second half of verse 18, and we're going to study this morning verse, all the way through verse 30. Uh, before we do, though, let's, let's begin with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace towards us. We thank you that in the gospel uh, there is life. We thank you that the gospel makes us new people. We thank you that, Jesus, you make us worthy Um, And as a result of that, we are able to be worthy in your sight, uh, to honor you with our lives. These are challenging and difficult things in practice. Help us to understand by your spirit what you would have us to learn. Let us be humble as we receive your word. Uh, May you investigate our hearts and penetrate deeply to show us where we still need to grow, um, but also to show us your grace that gives us joy as we grow. We pray this knowing that you are good and kind and will do these things for your children whom you love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we begin uh, continue on in our sermon series, Growing with Joy. One commentator, Leon Morris, writes, Faith is not static, but it must grow. May we mature in how we view Christ and our Christian life in Him. May we grow as Christians, and as we do so, may we be rejoicers. May we grow with joy. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. It was a church that was humming along. Things were going quite well. There were many things in that church where Paul could point to and say, this is a mature church. Um, But they still had areas in which to grow and to mature. The sermon is titled, Made Worthy to Be Worthy. Our passage will definitely stretch us as we see the work that Christ has done uh, to make us worthy and how we are therefore to live worthily in response to this work in us. There's basically two ideas we're going to look at. We're going to spend our time in two areas. The first um, thing we're going to look at is the mindset of a mature Christian. And then building upon that, we will look at the resulting manner of life of a mature follower of Christ. You guys ready? I'm just going to read the first section, verses 18b through 26, and focus on those. And then we will read the remaining uh, when we get to the next part. Philippians 1, verse 18b. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. See what Paul's doing? He's verbalizing his mindset here. And the passage that encapsulates it all is verse 21, Philippians 1, 21. This is a verse that is worth memorizing if you haven't already. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does he mean? Well, his circumstances help us. Paul is in jail. Emperor Nero eventually will hear his case. Nero, who demands his citizens worship him as what? Lord and Savior. How will he respond when Paul stands before him and says, uh, there is but one Lord and Savior, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it not possible that Nero would execute him? Paul knows this. But Paul gives two reasons in verse 19 why he believes this is not going to happen. The reasons are, one, the prayer of the Philippians, they love him. They've been praying for Paul. And two, the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. Jesus loves Paul. Jesus has filled Paul with his spirit in order to guide him and walk with him. Paul is in jail awaiting trial. He may either be released or he may be put to death. Surprisingly, Paul welcomes both outcomes. He welcomes being released because that means he has more opportunity to what? Go to Vegas, you know, uh, plan that big vacation, you know, uh, go see the Giants win or lose. Uh, no. He, he, it, to him, it means opportunity to live for Christ. But he also welcomes dying. Really? To understand this, um, we need to look at how mature Christians come to view this world. And a mature Christian, as we see through Paul here, views the world through the lens of what theologians call the already, not yet. Some of you here are going, that sounds familiar. Women's retreat, we covered that. I didn't cover that, I wasn't there. But I heard you guys discussed that among his, uh, amongst getting pedicures and all those fun things. Um, you did, didn't you? Oh, no, okay. The kingdom of heaven, listen, is already present. But it's not yet fully here. And so, as Christians, we live in the already, not yet. A few weeks back, I was watching one of these fixer-upper shows, you know. Uh, you know, Saturday morning, it's like, oh, i got to work on my sermon. Uh, well, maybe I'll just watch a little HGTV. It's kind of fun, right? We rent our homes, so it's like, aha, um, we can't do any of that stuff. But So I watched this couple. They bought this home. It's a fixer-upper, and they're spending all this money. It's like a total rehab, and they only have seven weeks to do it. And they realize that week seven, things aren't going to come about as they had hoped. Uh, they have to move in to their home that is being renovated. There's a barely functioning bathroom. The kitchen, forget about it. The floors, the walls. But they move in anyway. 
They moved into a home that was already being renovated, but the final reveal was not yet. My friends, that's the world in which we live in today. We live in a world that is being transformed by the gospel. Christ and his kingdom have come. His renewal of his people being uh, remade in God's image. This has begun. Most all of us here have experienced this new birth, haven't we? We've experienced the already. And we also know that not yet is yet to come. That God's day of final consummation and restoration of all things is still yet in the distant horizon. Christian, you know deep in your soul about the already not yet, don't you? Christ has given you new longings to love him and serve others. You've pledged to live a holy life for his glory. And yet you give in to temptation. And you desire to care more about Christ and his kingdom. But then you find yourself lusting for material possessions. Isn't it true we can lose sight of who we are in Christ and what it means to live for him? And so when confronted with the already not yet, we try to grasp the not yet. (laughs) We say, let me try to make it happen anyway, here and now. And so instead of embracing the already not yet with eyes of faith, we look for satisfaction in what is already around us. And isn't it not also true we can find ourselves operating with a different mindset? (laughs) Instead of to live as Christ and to die as gain, we say, to live as me and to die? Well, that's loss. To live as me and my dreams and my plans and to die is surely an end of me and my hopes. We think, I have so many things on my bucket list. The more I accomplish for my bucket list, the more my life will give me what I long for. What's on your bucket list? What on your bucket list is there that if you did not accomplish it before you die, your life will have fallen short? Paul models for us Christian maturity. I think if you were to ask Paul... What is on your bucket list? He'd probably go, what's that? Uh, But once you explained it to him, he would say just one word. Christ. Not that Paul wouldn't have longings or desires. He, He longs to return to Philippi. He longs to plant more churches. He longs to travel to all the churches that he's planted to encourage them and to strengthen them. And for us, there's nothing wrong with desiring a career where you can utilize your God-given gifts for his glory or a marriage or a family that honors the Lord or a large income so you can give generously to many Christ-honoring projects. But ultimately, the Christian's bucket list, like Paul's, is to have one item on it, honoring Christ in our bodies. That is what Paul declares at the end of verse 20. Paul expects to be acquitted, but either way, whether by life or by through death, Christ will be honored in his body. Paul is well aware of the already not yet. 
He knows the futility of, ta- of attaching one's hopes to this world as it is right now. Paul attaches his hope to his Savior and the world that he will one day bring. And he lives his life in light of that. How about you? How is it that you live in the already not yet? Have you set your ultimate hope in things of this world, as good as they may be? Or do you look to Christ, see who he is, see what he's done, see who he's making you to be? You know, there are really only two ways to live your life. One is for to me to live as me and to die as loss, or for to me is to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, you know, I think we get on some level, well, to live as Christ. We kind of get that. But the second part really gets us, doesn't it? <laughs> to die is gain? What? What is, he, what is he talking about? Does he have a death wish? You know, is he suicidal or something? No, that's not the case. Paul is very, very happy in the work that the Lord has called him to. We hear Paul saying, for to, for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain, and we can gloss over what Paul means. We can think, well, of course, it's, it's good to have a happy, full life and at the end, except death. We think, you know, after I've done great things for God and country, after I've seen all my grandkids get married, well, then, of course, let me be happy and go to heaven. That's not what Paul is saying when he says, To die is gain. Paul reveals to the Philippians that he has a dilemma. There are only two possible outcomes for Paul. Being released, not guilty, and live for Christ. Or to be found guilty and die and be with Christ. Now, which of the two does Paul prefer? Verse 23. He tells us his desire. My desire is to depart And to be with Christ, which is far better. To understand what Paul is getting at, I need to introduce another theological term. I want to take a moment to teach you um, something that will help you develop is a, a, a mature Christian mindset. You guys are ready? You're taking notes, right? It's good, better, best. Good, better, best. To be alive today and to experience salvation in Jesus Christ is a good thing. Though we battle with our lusts and flesh, Though hardship and struggle threatens us every day, God has lavished his love upon us. Our sins are forgiven. And we are, by God's grace, growing in holiness and goodness and in Christ's likeness. This is good. But there is a better existence in store for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's better to depart and be with Christ. 
Why is this? One, is it not true? While it's good to see Christ with eyes of faith, is it not far more excellent and better to see him face to face? Of course. The one who with love left heaven and came to earth for you, gave himself for you, suffered and died for you, who longs to to be present with you. Better than any friend on earth that you miss in Snapchat with. He's your Savior. Of course, Paul Paul early in Galatians, you know, it says... uh, you know, he, he's, his life is not his own anymore. He, he, he's he's um, been crucified with Christ. And the life he lives now, he lives by faith in the Son of God who what? Who loved me and gave his life for me. I think one of the reasons why we don't long to, be, to, to die and to be with Christ is because we don't ponder enough his love for us what he's done for us and what it would be like to be in his presence trust me trust paul it's far better (laughs) but also understand this christian when you're with christ in spirit your body lies in the grave there will be no more sorrow no more tears no more suffering no more discouragement no longer will you have that feeling that, that you just can't cut it as a child of God. No longer will be those times when you know the good thing you want to do and you don't do it and you rack your brain as to why you live this way still. That'll all be gone. No more opportunity to, to, to lie or to cheat. Or, our, our images will be made perfect and pure. So for the Christian, dying brings us to a far better state than what we live in now. That's the good and the better. Now for the best. What could be better than being in heaven at Jesus' side? A lot, actually. See, the best is yet to come. Right now in heaven, millions... Uh, are with Christ awaiting the day when Christ returns to consummate and to restore the entire cosmos. Millions are present with Christ in a better state, longing for the best state yet to come. See, many Christians get this wrong, and most non-Christians do as well. They think that, that the end goal for the Christian life is to, to have your body in a grave, and you float away to heaven, and then you hang around on a cloud with harps and stuff, and, you know, soothing music's played, you know. Is that Jack Johnson? It sounds like him, but there's no vocals. You know, um, is that Adele? I don't know. It's hard to tell with this elevator music here in heaven. No, that's not what heaven's going to be like, all right? But that's what people think. It's like... That, but you understand, that's like, that's, that's like uh, um, Platonists think that way. Ancient Greeks thought the body was bad and the spirit was good. And the best thing you can do is depart this earth and, and um, be a spirit floating somewhere. But that is wrong. When God made this earth and when God made man in his image, he made us male and female. He made us bodies and souls together, united as one. 
He made us to live in community, uh, to, to dwell in his presence, to experience the fullness of life with him as bodies and souls. Death destroys that. Death tears that apart. And God's not happy with that. If the end result is just people floating their spirits to heaven to be with Jesus, then the devil wins. <laughs> but God says, no, I'm going to restore everything. I'm going to restore my children made in my image. I mean, and, and on a day to come, in, in a twinkling of an eye, this whole world will be restored and renewed. There will be no sin or suffering or sorrow. Um, there will be nothing but purity and, and opportunity to flourish. And, and the dead will rise. Uh, those who belong to Christ will experience peace and eternal life. Uh, those who have rejected Christ and reject God will, will suffer e- eternal separation and sorrow apart from Christ. But we will be in physical bodies transformed in glory. Think of Jesus in the, in the transfiguration with Peter and James and John. They, they didn't even know what to do when they saw Jesus. Uh, I don't know, Jesus, should I build you a tent? Uh, you know, I mean, they didn't know what to do. He was so beautiful and glorious. But guess what? That's who we're going to be, like Jesus in his glory when we are resurrected. If you want to read more on it, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians is a long chapter that talks about how our spiritual bodies. We're not going to be, um, we're not going to be uh, this, exactly the same as we are here. We're going to have far more ability to comprehend and to delight and to flourish. Will we have more than five senses? Probably. But try to wrap your head around this. Who Christ will one day make you to be will be so glorious and lovely and pure and holy and full of life that if you were to see that you in the future now, you would be tempted to worship. Jesus Christ is making you worthy of living on the new heavens and the new earth. He has pledged to transform you to that best day. How can we then ever be satisfied with better or even good? Understand this also. If you, in that best state, were to come back to the world in which it is today, a world that still, still has much good in it and, and, and uh, remnants of God's glory and grace, if you were to come back in that glorified state and step on this earth, it would be as if you're stepping in a pile of dung. Why? Because this world as it is right now is not prepared for the glory and the worth that you will have on the day of the resurrection. This world is not worthy of who Christ is making you to be. So why on earth will we wrap our lives up in this and find our hope in this, in the already, when we have a not yet awaiting us? My friends, that's the mindset of someone who is mature in Christ. That fills our thoughts with joy and delight. And as a result, we say, it's better to be with Christ. But if I'm still here, to live is Christ. 
No longer living for our petty desires and dreams and our little checklist of bucket list items. I'm not saying it's, you know, it's not a, a friend of mine's going to see the, the Cowboys play in, in Dallas. That's great. Go for it. Have fun. You know, we can do those things as Christians. But may it not be our highest goal and priority. Let me ask you, how does this challenge you? As you process how your mind works, the things that you elevate to ultimate in your life, what is it saying to you as things you need to set aside as important but not ultimate? Um, how does it change the way in which you view heaven, which is far better, and the heavens on earth, which is best? Those who are mature in Christ have a mindset that says to live as Christ and to die as gain. That's the mindset, not for the manner. Let's look at that. That We see the, the manner in verse 27 through the end. Only let your manner of life... See, I'm not making this stuff up. Okay. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. For this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. We see our mindset there in verse 27. Only let your, excuse me, um, the, the manner in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So my freshman year of college, I, most of you know I graduated from Indiana University. Yeah, we beat Michigan State in football yesterday. Overtime, that was pretty good because we're really not a football team, but that was nice. Um, but my freshman year, I went to TCU, Texas Christian University. Uh, it wasn't so Christian at the time I was there. And by the way, neither was I. <clears throat> we'll just leave it at that. So anyway, but I went there my freshman year. Some of you were like, what does all that mean? All right. Let's talk sometime. But not today. It's my anniversary. I'm spending that with my wife. All right. So my freshman year, TCU, I made this friend, Tom Markell. He traveled he, all the way from Buffalo, New York. He was estranged from his own parents. But there was a Christian family who took Tom in, and they paid for his entire education. <laughs> I remember some of the conversations I had with Tom about that couple. Um, he made it clear to me that he wasn't quite sure why they would do this. <laughs> Such a large sum. Why would they take in someone like him? They really didn't know all that well. He didn't feel worthy of it. Um, he didn't feel like he deserved it. And he knew he could never repay them. <laughs> But he could honor them with the life that he lived in college, with the, the life that was worthy of the kindness that he had been shown by them. So what? He studied and got good grades. 
He was careful not to get caught up too much in the college scene. He didn't return some of my phone calls. Um, <laughs> he spoke regularly of this couple's kindness towards him, to me, numerous times. He was so thankful. He wrote them letters knowing how he was doing and the grades he was getting. In a similar way, Christians are to let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, don't confuse this with earning your worthiness or trying to prove your worthiness. Those who, don't, those who um, are outside of Christianity or many people who think they're Christians think they're Christians by, by earning their worthiness before God. If I, they think Christianity is about a bunch of rules, and if you, um, you know, adhere to them, at least better than your neighbor, uh, God's going to smile on you and welcome you in. That's not the case. None of us are worthy. But even though as Christians, we, we, we know we're saved by grace, but we can tend to feel like, well, I've got to keep proving my worthiness. I've got to do what all the good Christians do. And if I have a good day of being worthy, then well, God's going to pat me on the back and things will go well. Uh, but if I don't, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm, I just, I've got to wait till tomorrow, <laughs> right? So, but, so don't confuse this with earning your worthiness or proving your worth. Uh, these are the way that the world operates. Earn your worth. Make yourself appear worthy. But the Christian knows what we've been talking about. Only Christ can make you worthy. We don't deserve peace with God. In fact, we deserve what? His rejection and condemnation. Paul knows this all too well. Before his name was Paul, he was who? Saul. He was a very zealous Pharisee. He chased down Christians all over the Mediterranean and had them tried and punished. And even some of them were put to death. Paul was on his way to Damascus to do just that when Jesus, in mercy, came to him and sought him out and called him to experience God's grace. Paul shows us what we must know, that our worth is a gift from Christ. And so when Paul says, let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, he is simply calling us to live true to what we've experienced in the gospel. Be like Tom Markell, uh, to rejoice and be happy. Um, Live in such a way that says, um, I understand what's been done for me. Um, Of course, this is living in purity and holiness and and, um, seeking to honor Christ in our business transactions and, uh, and how we interact with our neighbors. All that we do, we should seek to honor him with our lives. But Paul has something a little more particular in mind here. The actual Greek here is helpful. It literally reads, only behave as citizens worthily. That's what in the literal Greek says that. Later in Paul's letter, he will remind the Philippians just who they are. Maybe you've read this verse before. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself wow we're going to cover that one later that's pretty cool uh paul is exhorting us to live in the already not yet as faithful citizens of the kingdom that has already come but is not yet here fully. And living as citizens of, a, of Christ's kingdom now is full of all sorts of difficulties. We know this be, because of what Paul is, gets at in verse 30. 
Paul writes that the Philippians are engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I have. The conflict that the Philippian church shares with Paul is that people don't just reject Christ, they reject Christ's messengers too. Paul is in jail for speaking of Christ. The Philippians were no doubt mature in going out and sharing the gospel in their community. Some received it and believed it, but most didn't. Some even became hostile. Remember what happened to Paul in Ephesus? So many people became Christians that they were no longer bowing down to idols made of silver and bronze and whatever. And uh, the craftsmen who made those things in Ephesus were all ticked off. They had a riot. They wanted to kill Paul. (laughs) because of the goodness of the gospel that had come to that town. So when Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, he is calling us to live today as citizens of Christ's kingdom that has already come, but yet will one day come in its fullness. Verse 27 to 29, he gets into greater detail. We'll go through it quickly. Basically, two points to get across. The first is, we see, be strong and united as you evangelize your neighbors, right? And the second is this. You're listening? Know that your suffering is a gift from God. What? All right, let's address that one first, right? Probably a good idea. Paul desires that this church would mature in how it processes suffering. I want us to look at suffering as kind of in three, or Christian maturity in kind of three stages. We've got immaturity, then we have maturing. And then we have mature. Paul often talked to this. Remember the church in Corinth? Oh, how he desired to give them real spiritual food, but they were just babies in the faith, and he had to give them spiritual milk, remember? Right? So it's not bad to be immature as a Christian. Like if you're a new Christian, you're, you're probably pretty immature. But if you're 30 years old and you're still just living for yourself and for your own glory, and you've been a Christian for, for 30 years, it's, it's probably some maturing that still needs to take place. All right? So immaturity, maturing, and mature. See, the immature Christian thinks that God does not want him to suffer and therefore avoids suffering. And if suffering comes his way, he wonders whether God dropped the ball or not and looks for an immediate exit. Is this how you respond to the trials of your life? The maturing Christian knows that God allows suffering and he takes it when it comes. He knows that God has a plan and purpose. He's able to work out suffering uh, to learn or to grow or for some greater purpose. And so this maturing person doesn't quickly look for an exit. That's the maturing Christian. But the mature Christian has an even better grasp. He understands that God doesn't just allow suffering. He wills our suffering. And therefore the mature Christian enters into suffering willingly, for Christ's sake. Some of you may be thinking, Mark, I get how God allows suffering into our lives, and when it comes, um, you know, by God's grace, you know, we'll just deal with it, and we'll make lemonade or something, right? But what you're saying just doesn't sound right. Well, let's do a word study. The Greek word that um, we use to translate with our English word grace, or, or gift, depending upon the context, is the noun charis. Charis is the Greek noun. The verb in our passage, where we read in verse 29, it says, has been granted. 
We've been granted things by God. It's the Greek verb, charizomai. It's from the same stem as the word give or grace or grace gift. Charizomai means to give or to grant graciously and generously with the implication of goodwill on the part of the giver. Now let's read verse 29 again. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. So God has granted us two things, belief, faith, The reason why you believe, if you do believe, is because God has graciously opened your heart, given you a new heart that beats for him, a new mind that is able to comprehend your own sin and your need of a savior. This is God's gift for you. He has granted you belief. But we also see God has granted us suffering for the sake of Christ. Now, Bear in mind, this isn't suffering for like some bad decision you make in business, right? This isn't suffering for uh, for some foolish thing you did, right? Uh, No, this is suffering for the sake of the gospel. For the gospel going forth in your life and in your community. This is you suffering as you try to disciple someone who frustrates the heck out of you. So much so you want to throw your hands up and quit. This is you when you're rejected for sharing the gospel or or trying to transform your community in some way so that it looks more Christ-like. Paul says we're to understand this suffering properly. God grants these encounters when we suffer. It's a chance for us to honor our Savior, to suffer for his sake. The mature Christian understands that our suffering for Christ's sake is actually a grace given by God. Christian, is there room in your theology for a God who doesn't just grant you to believe in him, but also grants you to suffer for the sake of Christ? See, a mature Christian gets that. Not that we don't go, okay, it's hard, but we get that. Is there room in your theology Now, last point real quickly. As citizens of heaven, we're called to honor Christ in our bodies. That was kind of the first point, but we kind of got distracted by this whole God granting our suffering, right? Um, What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, as we live as citizens of of God's kingdom now, that's already here, uh, as citizens of the kingdom to come, we are to be strong and united as we... Bring the gospel to our neighbors. Verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or not, I may hear that you're maturing, basically. I want to hear that you're, one, standing firm in one spirit, uh, and two, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and three, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that's from God. So we're to stand firm. 
This is not you individually. This is a letter to a church. This is to, and for us to comprehend it properly, this is Grace Church, right? This is us realizing as a, as, as a light of Christ in this community, we stand together, right? In unity. Um, as we're going to see in the next week and the further weeks, there's some disunity in this Philippian church. There's a lot of good things about it, but there's some things that if they don't get addressed could really unwind and go crazy. So um, may we be united as a church here on the East End. And may we strive side by side for the, for the, um, for the faith of the gospel. The striving side by side is like an allusion to um, men in battle, uh, arm in arm, uh, watch it, walking forward to, to face the enemy. Uh, this, we must do this for each other, right? Um, we are a church that's called to, to love our community, but there will be times when people reject what we say and do. And we need to stand together side by side. And, um, and then we're not to be afraid. Do you see that? And not frightened in anything by your opponents. Remind yourself of this. Everywhere Jesus went, he was received in one of three basic ways. With belief, with indifference, with rejection. They wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff. They wanted to throw rocks at him and kill him. And eventually they got their way. They crucified the one who came to live and die for this world. So that's our final point. Christ makes us worthy so that we may live in a a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel. Do you delight in this? Are you immature or are you mature or somewhere in between? Know this. Don't feel beat up this morning. Know that, that God is working to transform you by his grace through his spirit. Ask him for more help, um, and he surely will. Do you rejoice when God grants you to suffer for his sake? I don't know about you, but i got a lot of room to grow in this area. Let me wrap up by telling a story. Um, unless you live in Miami, Florida, or are a big baseball fan, you probably didn't hear about the death of Jose Fernandez. Fernandez was one of the top young pitchers in the major leagues and played for the Miami uh, team. He died last Sunday morning in a horrible boating accident um, early, early in the morning hours. And as I was perusing through like the stories on Fernandez's life, a couple, two things, two qualities about him kept getting repeated by everybody. One, he was a fierce competitor. He devoted 100% every time he was on the field. There was no slacking in Jose Fernandez. But he also played with great joy. <laughs> Fernandez loved playing baseball. He didn't outgrow it. <laughs> it wasn't a means to him for a huge salary. <laughs> or glory on the field. He just loved playing the game. And when he played, his joy exuded to all of his teammates. Baseball lost a rising star last week, but his death is having a continuing effect on many players. One such player is, of course, from my St. Louis Cardinals, Aledmus Diaz. Diaz and Fernandez grew up best friends in the same neighborhood in Cuba. They both defected uh, to America and got huge Major League Baseball contracts. This year, they, they both played on the All-Star teams, and they would joke and rib each other um, even when they played against each other. But they were the best of friends. And then that boat crashed on the rocky jetty in the wee hours of the morning. Four people died, including Jose Fernandez. 
The Cardinals gave Aledmus a few days off to mourn in Miami with Jose's family. He returned to the Cardinals lineup this past Tuesday. And he said before the game started that he will from that day forward live, play every game differently. He will play the game like Jose Fernandez with intensity and with joy. He pledged the first night back to honor his friend's life and death every time he put on the uniform. And in the fourth inning, with the Cardinals down two to one, Diaz eyes the perfect pitch and a crack of the bat, grand slam home run. (laughs) His first one ever. In an interview after the game, Aledmus spoke of how Jose's mindset and manner had become his own. These are his own words. I'm going to finish with them. Diaz said, I carry him in my heart. I'm not a demonstrative person who expresses his emotions too much, but he will always be in my heart. The best way to carry him with me is to play 100% and rejoice every time I'm on the field. Because you never know when it's going to be your last. What a great story. What an even greater way to illustrate what Paul has been teaching us this morning. If Aledmus Diaz has pledged to live a manner of life worthy of his dead beloved friend, how much more so shall we be committed to letting the manner of our lives be worthy of Christ? Oh, that our lives would be worthy of of the one who makes us worthy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. It's challenging, um, but yet also so uplifting and freeing. May you continue in the uh, hours and days ahead to work these truths into our minds, that we would have this mindset uh, that, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, may we, out of love for our Savior, desire to live a manner of life that, is, that honors Him, is pleasing to Him, and, and worthy um, of the grace that He has shown us. Uh, we know this is a work of Your Spirit. We do not do this on our own. Even our desire to be these people is a gift from You. We thank You, Heavenly Father, in the name of our Savior. Amen.